everybody. Welcome to episode 31 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SEG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castorapple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hi, Collins. Hey. What's going on, Chris? Not much. How's, how, how are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I, um, I got some exciting news, actually, for this week. Oh, yeah? Um, I, think, so, I think I know what this news is because I <laughs> pay too much attention to Twitter and stuff, but but go ahead. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the announcement is that I am, uh, starting this week, going to be offering uh, coaching for Magic the Gathering. So if anybody is interested in just getting a hold of me for an hour to an hour and a half to talk to me about just Magic and like play games with me through Magic Online see if they have any areas where they think they can improve that they think I can help them with or if they want help like preparing for a tournament you can I'm, I'm offering just like an hour to an hour and a half of my time to just kind of sit down with you and work with you on improving at magic so if you want to find me for that and schedule a session with me you can do that through calendly that's c-a-l-e-n-d-l-y dot com slash collins mullen and they can yeah. also find that information just on your, on your yeah, Twitter. Yeah, and you can account, find right? that stuff on either my, uh, probably my Twitter is the best way to find it, which is just at Collins Mullen. Pretty simple, as long as you know how to spell my name, which might be tricky, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm very excited about that. I'm super excited to talk to anybody about you know stuff that they want to start working on. That's um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, are you offering any sort of like podcast co-host discounts or anything like that? <laughs> I'm sure that we can work something out, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. <Okay>. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah, that's super exciting. I, I definitely, I have never, you know, gotten coaching, mostly because, like, the only people that I've seen who are coaching that I would actually want to to <laughs> do that with are PV and pretty much nobody else. Um, right, right, right. And I can't quite justify that that expense at this point in my life. But yeah. yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, I I, I do think it's a this one-on-one teaching sort of stuff. Like when I taught like test prep sort of things, I was always able to help students a lot more in one-on-one sort of situations. So that's exciting, and, and it should be yeah, a I'm, lot of fun. I think I I actually have a lot of skills in like one-on-one conversations with people. I tutored a lot in college and uh, just like mathematics and physics and stuff. So I feel like you know that kind of like one-on-one teaching environment really works well for me and I think that I can like explain things really well and get a read on what works for people so I'm really excited to kind of like take that and apply it to magic which is you know the thing I'm doing right now and the thing I love so yeah hopefully people are interested in that enough to uh to hit me up on that awesome yeah, and as I as we talked about last time, we are you know currently building the MTG Grindcast website, so we're definitely gonna you know set up a page with all the information you could possibly need for for that the coaching side of things on the site. So that should be helpful once yeah, we get that. Easier up. access to links. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, you know say links on the website. I guess we could probably include it in our like Facebook and Twitter posts, but yeah, um, and I can I can yeah. certainly toss that in the toss a link to it in the show notes so that should be pretty easy to find word um cool but yeah so uh come find me if you want to if you want to talk to me more than just listen to chris and i talk on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) so you uh played modern uh this weekend right yeah so i was actually just in indianapolis playing some modern 
I decided to... I, I know I talked a little bit about this last weekend, but I decided to play Grishel Brand for a couple reasons. The main one was that it's it was kind of a lame duck format, and, you know, Jason Bloodbraid were just kind of reprinted, but we didn't have access to those yet. So kind of less excited about Indianapolis from the context of, like, you know, okay, this we're going to play in this format moving forward a lot. It was just kind of like a... Let's have fun with this weekend. So... I had, I had been having a lot of fun with Grishel Brand, just kind of like testing on Moto and everything, so I decided to sleeve it up and play it at the tournament. And it was fun, but uh, <laughs> the deck isn't very consistent, and I kind of felt that over the weekend a little bit. Just had some matches where uh, I felt like I put myself in some pretty good spots, but couldn't couldn't close. But it was still a lot of fun. So what is that look like like you just get thought seeds once and you don't really recover from it or because i've never actually played grishel brand so i don't know what the like failures the experience like. that i had which was kind of crazy was so game one you either won or lost in spectacular fashion either your deck <laughs> just kind of you know did its thing and kills your opponent on turn two or three or yeah they were able to disrupt you enough and you just couldn't couldn't quite get your feet on the ground and then so in the sideboard i had three Blood Moons, and three Chalice of the Void. So in a lot of my matches, I actually ended up just, like, mulliganing towards one of those powerful hate pieces, landing it, and then just playing Drago with my opponents for, like, ten turns, while we're both, like, kind of, you know, not really doing much, <laughs> because they're, like, locked out from a Chalice or a Blood Moon, and I'm just, like, desperately trying to draw into a, like, a Through the Reach or something to, to, to end the game with. Gotcha, um, and, gotcha. And a lot of the time, I was able to get there through, like, eventually drawing it, but there were definitely some times where, you know, I drew seven cards and didn't find a, a, the thing that I needed, and uh, they were able to get out of my lockpiece or something and, and kill me. But, you know, say la vie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we probably don't want to talk too much about this non-existent pre-band <laughs> format. Yeah, um, uh, rest in peace, uh, you know, that that iteration of modern, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I hope I hope we're not going to just end up looking back on it overly fondly and thinking, like, those are the days. There were so many playable decks, and as we like Jace, our, our opponent's Jaces, ho- hopefully that's not what it's turning into. Okay. I, I also played some pre-ban modern uh, this past weekend. I, I flew to GP Lyon, yeah, which was pretty go. cool. I, I had a really good time. I played Living End. Unfortunately, ran into a lot of burn. I, I started out 4-1, but then in the sixth round, I looked at the pairings board, and I was playing against Levy, um, who famously went to time against PV playing blue-white against Jeskai Control. Uh, yeah. And uh, blue-white is a really rough matchup for a living end uh like i i much prefer to play against something like jeskai where my fulminator mages are more live and they have dead cards like lightning bolt right the the way that i tend to beat blue white is if my opponent taps too much mana at sorcery speed like a lot of times they'll do something like play a turn four search for Azkanta and leave up a couple of mana and then i can like beast within a blue source at the end of their turn and then untap and and go off from there yeah yeah that makes sense and, you know, like, Levy just didn't, obviously wasn't going to make any of those mistakes. So, uh, right. very, very difficult matchup. Yeah, I, I talk about this in my, my video that I posted a little bit, but I uh, I misplayed a little bit against him in game one that we played. Uh, and I think this is a lesson in understanding what's important in a game. Yeah. 
and I, I didn't realize until too late the way he was attacking my green mana sources. And I, I made a really fundamental misplay at one point, which is when he pathed one of my guys, I because we were at a point in the game where I was like playing one guy at a time to try to either overload his removal or force a weird play from him so that I could I could combo. And he pathed one of my guys, and I... I just kind of reflexively fetched my last basic, which was a forest, but I had two Verdant Catacombs in play, and since he had already, I think he had Field of Ruins to one of my green dual lands, and I, I should have realized that his plan was to cut me off of green mana, and I should have left- the forest. Right, right. And so putting the forest in play was just a, a big mistake because it left it vulnerable to that. When I had Verdant Catacombs, so I could have had that forest out at any time. And the only way that I was going to beat him was by double green spelling in one turn, whether that was like Beast Within to cut him off of a mana and then uh, casting a Violent Outburst or casting double Violent Outburst. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I, I didn't really leave myself that out. And it didn't matter because he had two counter spells in his hand the whole game and didn't tap out but uh, it was definitely still like a misunderstanding of what was important in that match and getting that like eighth land in play was not nearly as important as protecting my ability to make one green mana at some point down the line right 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 yeah i mean you know operating under like playing against the blue white deck that is actually like one of their primary game plans is disrupting your mana um, there, are, like, that's not really a, a game of magic that we have a lot of heuristics in. You know, we we don't really know how to operate uh, instinctively in that in that setting where somebody's attacking our mana base in this kind of like weird field of ruiny spreading seas kind of way. That's kind of like a new thing in modern that hasn't existed for a long time. So I can definitely see how you you could just like you know make an instinctive play and then realize down the line a little bit to. Uh, whoops that that might cost me you know yeah and i mean this is a mistake that i have made before and hopefully it's it's kind of set in a little stronger this time just not necessarily that that exact type of situation against field of ruin and spreading seas but against you know a stone rain deck or land destruction deck of some sort you don't have to play your lands at the first opportunity like the important lands sometimes you got to realize that like this land they want to kill really badly so it's effectively a ritual you don't need to just put it out there you you need to hold it and that's that's something that hopefully i will take a little more to heart after this this experience so yeah yeah well good for you for noticing it and uh you know keeping it in mind moving forward that's, well, that's hopefully. definitely what you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just wanted to share that as a, you know, because that might actually help people. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to share was this this uh, crazy game that I played, um, which won't help anybody at all, but it's <laughs> but a, it fun a fun story. story. <laughs> yeah. So I was playing against Grixis Death Shadow, which is like one of the most interesting matchups for Living End. Just there's a lot of back and forth between them hand disrupting you and trying to put on a clock while also holding up stubborn denial or at least representing it and then the ways that you can play around stubborn denial so it's a really interesting matchup uh most of the time but game two against him i drew my opening hand and my hand is two ley lines of the void four lands and one simian spirit guide which is whoa okay obviously not a keepable hand 
but two of my lands were Grove of the Burn Willows. So yeah. I almost reflexively just put it on top of my deck. But as I was like moving my my hand over to my deck, I realized like, wait. And then I sat there for about a minute, kind of like running through the entire Grixis Death Shadow list in my head. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, okay, I think this might actually work. And so I just kept it, put my ley lines into play, played uh grove of the burn willows as my first two lands and made sure you never drop below like 16 life uh and eventually ever cast any threats in that case right like and and since his thought scour milled a couple of mana producing lands because he drew three thought scours which is not where you want to be against leyline of the void oh yeah for sure but so he ended up at a point where he had all four of his available mana producing lands in play so he could not cast street wraith or Gurmag Angler, or Tassiger, or Death Shadow. So eventually, I, I got a couple of creatures out, but I was obviously waiting until I could just swing for like 30 damage. Then um, he just, you know, put his hand on the table and was like, yeah, that, my, my entire deck doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. What a combo of uh, double, uh, double <laughs> yeah. Leyline, double uh, Grove of the Burn Willows. Yeah, the... Death Shadow. The hard lock, the That's living in nice. prison. Um, yeah. I don't think that works with only one Grove of the Burn Willows, so I don't think that that will come up very often. But it was really sweet. When uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm playing Grixis Death Shadow and my opponent puts the ley lines into play, plays the Grove, passes the turn, and then like in my end step is just like you gain a life, untap. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, oh, oh no. <laughs> So I was I I will admit I was pretty happy with myself for fighting against my Figuring reflexes and yeah and it may yeah. be you know a relatively obvious thing but it's the kind of thing that you know CCR a year ago might just not even have thought about and then yeah. realized it much later so I, I do yeah. feel pretty happy with having done that yeah I mean that's um, awesome it's definitely a good feeling when you like you feel like you've you've been able to like utilize some knowledge of the game that you've acquired and like put it into action and then it works it's just kind of the best feeling in magic mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure so that's just hopefully a story that people found interesting and not too self-indulgent <laughs> <laughs> no that's great so yeah pre-band modern it's dead tron was really good for a weekend uh creature decks at scg were really good but we don't really we don't really care about that anymore, I guess. Yeah, we're moving on. It's a whole new world out there, full of Jaces and Blood Raid Elves. So, yeah, fuller um, fuller of Blood Raid Elves than I think we initially gave it credit for being. So so that yeah. one, you know, that's that's our bad. Yeah, I mean, I think that Blood Raid Elf is definitely, at least in the first couple of weeks of this being legal, going to have an impact. Because just yeah. simply because of the fact that a lot of people are going to want to play it. And, you know, and given what we've seen out of the first week, it, it, it has had some success, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so the the main places we can look are really just at the last two modern challenges and uh, the, the competitive leagues. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is, I, as I noticed, I, I don't know if you felt like this as you were scrolling through. Um, I, like, yes, there's a lot of decks, and it's definitely interesting to see. But it felt even less indicative of a metagame than the five lists per day that we used to get. Because at least then oh, yeah, you can see that, like, you know, Jund three days in a row or something like that. And mm -hmm. and this is uh, this is just kind of a, a wash of 
of data that doesn't doesn't quite get yeah. there. It doesn't it doesn't really tell us anything. It like it gives us a, a list for each archetype that exists, but it, right. it doesn't it you know it in terms of any knowledge about what's going on in the format, it's just kind of you know not that at all. Which is kind of what I felt like I was talking about a little bit last weekend. It was like yeah, you know, sure this is kind of exciting because now we're going to be able to see like the hidden gems or whatever. But um, in terms of like understanding the metagame, now we're going to have to only look at like the uh the modern challenges and other like swiss events that happen on magic online as well mm-hmm. as like in real life like grand prix data and like local tournament data and everything like that in terms yeah. of like you know metagame percentages yeah yeah definitely because like just because some deck that's like 16 one ofs five owed a league one time like that doesn't <laughs> it's yeah. just not that's gonna be fun to look at but <laughs> right right but i mean so from so so the most useful information is definitely from stuff like the modern challenge and i i feel like what we've been seeing there is the format is not ruined by jace quite yet um that doesn't doesn't seem to have happened yet uh i right. don't know that it will happen but it's also definitely too soon to say really anything about this format. There are a number of Jace decks, um, but at least, you know, there's a, a lot of different Jace shells. I've seen several combo decks with Jace in it, including, like, creature combo decks, like, whether they're, like, Kiki-Jiki decks or Collected Company decks. I- I've also seen it in pure control lists and also some kind of like aggro control stuff with Tarmogoyfs and, and maybe Thoughtseizes and, and just like every color combination is represented on here somewhere. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of Jace decks, but it, it isn't just Jace quite yet. I don't know what, what you know conclusions you've drawn so far, but, but one thing that I think we have seen at, at least a little bit is that uh, there is some of that pushing mid-range decks out. Uh, the like the mid-range decks lean heavily towards Bloodbraid Elf or Jace, which I guess is a mid-range card. And I think if you're not running one of those two, then you're you're gonna have a really really hard time keeping up and then a lot of the rest of the format is like very aggressive decks lots of burn lots of humans that sort of thing the one thing that's kind of surprised me is how consistently successful this black red hollowed one list has kind of like proven it feels like you know despite everything we keep on seeing it pop up as like one of the decks that is performing really well i think okay so this might this might be crazy this might be totally wrong I think what we keep seeing is something kind of exactly like this modern challenge, which is like one or two people here in this modern challenge, exactly one hollow one deck made the list. I I think what we're seeing is one person who is rolling really well. You know, one, one dude who plays hollow one starts rolling really well and manages to keep it up for the length of a tournament. Uh Um, That may not be what's happening, but the fact that there's only one and the ceiling of the deck when you are when variance is on your side is really high makes me feel like you know just like one of the hollow one decks is is gonna get there and that may be just the the way the format is now (laughs) yeah that makes sense kind of like putting it into that context is like we keep on seeing one of these do really really well and you know just kind of based on the construction of the deck and like how 
if you get lucky, your deck is probably pretty unstoppable. Then mm-hmm. you know one one guy that's running this list is likely to to you know roll well for a, for a tournament. Yeah, and I think that this might be an exaggeration, but I think like the presence of hollow one decks in the metagame is just something you should ignore because you just can't beat that deck when it has a good draw. You know? Yeah, it's very tough. You just sort of have to, you know, sometimes you'll play against them and they'll be on the play and they'll put in two hollow ones on turn one and you'll discard your answer to their burning inquiry. And <laughs> right. uh, yeah, <laughs> then you lose. Uh, or, or just like, you know, they'll they'll put two hollow ones on the play and they'll discard your answers to the hollow ones and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, I'm just going to yeah. die to these four fours. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they just follow it up with like a Gurmag Angler and... I mean, you, you're dead. Uh, so the I, I actually <laughs> I think I'm like XO or X in one against Hollow One with Living End because I have uh, ley lines in the board and because you have so many three mana Wrath of Gods in your deck. Right. But yeah. I think three mana Wrath vast... of Gods seems pretty good against that deck for sure. It's 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 quite nice. Um, but I mean, they can dump things in their graveyard. Right, with, that's where not really with any consistency, avoid. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and right. the fairy macabs and stuff is probably really good there. Yeah, I mean, I've been running a different list. Like, I've been running a list with ley lines. Um, the list that other people have been succeeding with have had the fairy macabs in the main deck rather than having ley lines in the sideboard. Oh, is it which one is, or the other? Okay, it tends to be one or the other. You know, when I ran, when I ran it in paper, you know, back, you know, months ago. Um, that's what I was doing was fairy macabs and no ley lines. And I, I switched to ley lines just because it felt like I liked having that big haymaker hate card in the graveyard matchups. But these, these lists now, you know, people are succeeding with a different way, a little bit of a weirder list. Like, I don't love things like this two Simeon spirit guides. Um, and they've also trimmed a living end from the deck, which means if you ever draw a living end, you only get one shot at it yeah. which is in my experience of of how the deck kind plays out is is really <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like a lot of your games end up being like cast a small one to stem the early bleeding and then the second one puts 30 power into play sure okay and and taking away that option is not not super exciting to me, or at least minimizing the the ability to take advantage of that option. And I also really don't love two Simeon Spirit Guides because the hands where you don't have a Simeon Spirit Guide compared to the hands where you do are are usually fundamentally quite quite Very weaker different. in power level. In order to do a thing, all of the all of the cards in your deck that do something cost three mana. So having a Simeon Spirit Guide to let you do one of those things on turn two and one of those things on turn three is pretty nice. Um, but I I will definitely be trying this this list because I you know it might just be matching up well against stuff right now. Like this last Modern Challenge, uh, there were a couple of people who X and one with a Living End list like this, and this one um, Jundilian Adoed. So yeah. I clearly cannot call myself an aficionado if i don't give it a shot (laughs) right right yeah at least you know worth worth trying out one other thing that i'm noticing is that tron doesn't seem to be as successful as kind of the assumption might have been you know if if your baseline assumption is people are going to be playing a lot of 
Jace decks and a lot of Jund decks now. And so you want to be on a Tron deck to beat up on the mid-range decks. Yeah. But it's just not. And I think that from from what I've seen, I think that the reasoning behind that is, is kind of twofold. Like, number one, a lot of the slower Jace decks have access to either Blood Moon or Spreading Seas and Field of Ruin, which is probably good enough to to give them a reasonable percentage against Tron. And also, the presence of Jace decks is forcing a lot of people to run very aggressive decks like Burn and Humans, which Tron is just not not excited to see. So I don't know that I would be really into running Tron in this format, and it doesn't look like people are, are really winning with it as much as they were, you know, this past weekend in, in the pre-ban format. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of like maybe even counterintuitively, sometimes modern is like more reactive to what people think is going to be the best deck than it is like a bunch of that best deck actually doing well. So, you know, <laughs> when we look at what's being like pushed into the format, um, it's like a bunch of uh, like controlly mid-rangey decks, right? And you'd think that a, you know, a good counter to that would be Tron, but in fact, a lot of people are just trying to get under everything and going like burn and, and stuff like that, which is bad for Tron. So yeah. I guess like, you know, it depends on kind of what level people expect to, to be on. And it sounds like Tron was just kind of like on the, on the wrong level, at least for this first week. Yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much sounds about right to me. And, you know, Bloodbraid Elf probably gives the, the Jundex reasonable game against Tron. Like, if you disrupt them a little bit, Bloodbraid Elf adds in that extra bit of damage. You know, like, Bloodbraid Elf into Fulminator Mage is, is pretty gnarly. So. Yeah, I mean, one of the really big upsides for Bloodbraid Elf is that it just means that you get to see your sideboard cards more often. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you're putting Fulminators in your deck, then, you know, some number of time your Blood Braid is just going to be another Fulminator as well. So that's uh, that's definitely good for, for done in the context of hitting hitting those, like, powerful sideboard pieces. Yeah. It does kind of mess with the, the Fulminator Mage and Surgical Extraction sideboard plan. Maybe not enough to make that a bad plan, but... Uh, oh, by hitting the surgical kind of not on time? Yeah, yeah. If you haven't killed a Tron piece and you flip surgical against Tron, that's that's <laughs> awful. I'll take all of your... Uh... <laughs> chromatic spheres? <laughs> yeah, chromatic <laughs> spheres. I don't know. I probably actually just want to leave those in the deck. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> if they've, yeah, if they've got the the forest in play yeah right but yeah a um it so it is interesting to kind of see how things are unfolding uh burn seems to be pretty, yeah. pretty high percentages and it looks like two the the two burn lists that made top eight of this event met in the finals yep which is kind of an interesting look on things yeah i mean i think that's just you know it is the basic default aggro deck of choice um like affinity is not where you want to be if if you're trying to get your opponent's life total to zero as quickly as possible there's just just too many coligans commands around yeah but burn is i mean it's just burn it does it's planned very well um I, I think a lot of these decks are not you know burn is like 73 out of 75 cards basically and you can flip right. a couple of slots around um yeah. and it is tuned and it's it's 
it's as fast and as powerful as it can be. People are kind of brewing right now. Any Jace deck that you see is kind of a new deck. Any Bloodbraid Elf deck that you see is kind of a new deck. And I think that probably is costing percentage points against a deck like Burn. And Burn might just be a kind of like doing well just because of the fact that in a new, like this is like standard knowledge that we know pretty well, is that in a, in a fresh standard format where like things are just rotated and people still trying to figure things out, generally the decks that have a lot of success early in the format are the these mono-red aggressive beatdown decks, right? Um, yeah. Because they they just work so well at punishing non-tuned lists. And I think that that might be the success that we've been seeing in modern these couple of weeks because Burn has been having success probably a lot against the uh, the blue-white li- Jace lists and the Jundi Bloodbraid lists that like still haven't quite figured out what kind of mana they want and yeah. like haven't figured out all of their game plans really well and maybe Burn wasn't really an archetype that they considered too much when they built a sideboard. There's just like a lot of factors that go into like new lists that I could definitely see how Burn would be able to capitalize on these new lists not really being tuned or prepared for kind of what exists in modern. So that might be a factor. That's just kind of me speculating a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm I'm going through like these Jun lists and, you know, they have several cards that they do not want in their deck against Burn. Like starting yeah. with Dark Confidants and then, you know, like you don't want all of these Coligan's commands. You don't want these Thought Seizes and they right. don't have enough cards to bring in out of their sideboard that are even okay in the matchup yeah i think that's kind of like the the big thing that you want to be looking at is like take a look at their sideboard and see how many collective brutalities they're running um yeah, i mean because that's, if that answer like it's... zero then they're just the list isn't tuned yet because collective brutality is just something necessary against these burn decks if you want to compete there right um and, and there's a a, de- a jund deck with no collective brutalities in the sideboard has like a measurably significantly worse matchup than a Jun deck with three in the sideboard. Like th- I-, I think you cannot build your matchup against Burn to be positive without several collective brutalities in the sideboard. But if you do, then it's you want to play against yeah. it. So Or just you know, just kind of like any plan for Burn, like that has incidental life gain. It could be it could be like kitchen fix. That's kind of like old school burn tech that Jungles yep. have run in the past. But you know, you know, you're gonna need something because your general game plan of you know, cast an Inquisition, play a Tarmogoyf into play a Liliana is just gonna die to burn a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's not even counting the pl- play a Thoughtseize, play a Bob draws that you can get. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely you can get game one uh, is pretty tough sometimes, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Burn is interesting, and the general Boros Burn lists with the Destructive Reverly Splash in the sideboard have kind of become the de facto best Burn lists that I've seen. Um, yep. But uh, I, I actually brewed up on the way up to Indianapolis and almost pulled the trigger on playing it a, a burn list that really heavily went towards more one mana three damage spells. Um, okay. People have started to run Vexing Devil as a, like a one of. I think that John Stern kind of popularized that a little bit from the Pro Tour and then his Grand Prix finish. And the theory there was that you you really need to maximize the mana efficiency that your burn is burn deck is outputting. So at the more one mana three damage burn spells that you can put in your deck, I think that the, like the faster the deck is going to be, 
So mm-hmm. I've, I've actually been tinkering around with a black-red burn list with Bump in the Nights and uh, three shard volleys, which is something that's a little extreme and uh, some people might shy yeah. away from, but... <laughs> that is um, that is pretty extreme. I will agree there. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the time, you know, if, if people have played burn, they know that the way that burn plays out a lot of the time is you, you know, you dump your hand and then you're, like, in, in the really good burn curve out hands you know you you like you play goblin guide and then you play your two mana burn spell and then on turn three you you just like dip, dump your hand with like your three um one mana burn spells if you've had yeah. that like god draw or whatever and this is just trying to um maximize that happening where you know when you're dumping your hand of those three burn spells generally your opponent's just dead so it doesn't matter that you're sacrificing your lands for maybe one or two of those as long as it, your opponent is just going to, you know, die. Yeah, I, I definitely have been on the other side of many games where I, I just pass the turn and I think, please don't have more than one one mana spell. Like, right. That's it, all I need. And yeah. it, as long as they don't, then they can't kill me. But if they do, then, then I'm not So I think that, you know, once I, once I move my focus back to modern a little bit, I'm, I'm going to be testing this out more on Magic Online. Because I, I wrote up this list and I, I honestly think I really like it. Because it's got 19 one mana burn spells. It could be 20 if I wanted four shard volleys, but that's, you know, maybe even a little too that's, crazy for me. Well, that's <laughs> a little bit too edgy, I think. <laughs> um, but it's just got, like, you know, it's got four bolts, four lava spikes, four rift bolts, four bump in the night, and three shard volley. So I, I just kind of, like, really like that on paper. You do lose out on Boris Charm, but I just yeah. don't know how necessary Boris Charm is. You know, if we're if we're really trying to focus on mana efficiency, it's it's two to one, which is better than the other three damage two mana burn spells, but um, it's not that three to one that you're looking for so often with like bumping that air shot Raleigh or uh, good old lightning right. bolt. Yeah, well, I but mean, obviously, you know, if you could just play thirty crazy lightning idea. bolts, yeah. Um. If we could just play all <laughs> lightning bolts, that would just be beautiful, but we can't. <laughs> think yeah fortunately (laughs) yeah so that's i don't know that's my little tidbit on that i might be you know looking more into that in the future but for now i'm gonna be focusing i think a little more on standard lately yeah and i i think that's a fine transition to uh start talking about standard like modern's cool but it's gonna work itself out a little more over the next Mm -hmm. couple of days it's still fresh people are still figuring it out so yeah 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 standard though is is kind of getting to a place i i think you've been playing a little more than i have I, i've been looking at lists but i haven't gotten to play it as much so do you want to sort of introduce us yeah. to what's so, going on in standard um i actually played in the standard classic in indianapolis um okay uh zan handed me his blue black mid-range deck which is kind of like one of the it, it at least was one of like the newer archetypes that um, was kind of designed to beat up on Mono Red. It just had an excellent Mono Red matchup. And Mono Red had kind of like turned into the de facto best deck, I think. And a lot of people have been having a lot of success with Mono Red on Magic Online. And it had definitely been pulling its way on like the tournaments that I had seen. And so this, the blue black midrange deck really, really crushed that archetype, had good matchups against things like Mardu, which had been really successful. So I really, I did like it for that weekend, and I ended up drawing the last round into top 32 of the the uh, the classic, which is like a fine finish. I lost to Alian Trazi on his, he played f- this five-color black-green base 
like yes. control deck. We're going to talk about was, those decks. Which is kind We're of definitely going to talk about those decks. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped um, for those, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> and uh, and then I actually did end up losing to Mono Red, just you know because you you can still just yeah. lose to Mono Red. It's just sometimes they just kill you. Happen if they draw well. I, I had one of those fun experiences where. At the end of the match, my opponent had a couple of his friends kind of, like, standing behind him, and at the end of the match, they were like, wow, you just drew exactly what you needed every turn, and, you know, normally <laughs> I don't like to complain about that, but uh, but because they had that big reaction or whatever, I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, good beats, I guess. So, lost to, those were my two losses in the event, and then I took a unintentional draw against a the tokens list with the... Just kind of like the the black white version of the tokens list, which is just plays the hidden stockpiles and anointed procession. We had an, a super interesting match where game one. I think I probably should have just conceded game one much earlier because he just kind of got his engine online very quickly and was able to kind of steamroll advantage. Um, yeah, that's and I probably should have just scooped that up pretty early because it's it's really hard for like a blue black mid range deck to compete with that, but. You know, this mid-range deck has Scarab God in it, so if you can ever get that online and really lean on that pretty well to keep up with whatever this the um, the other deck's doing, you can you can kind of compete in this like weird long game if they can't ever interact with your Scarab God. So game two, I was able to win off of the back of Scarab God, just kind of taking over the game. I like hostage taker his regal caracol and cast it to have like some lifelink <laughs> blockers to make sure he couldn't attack ever. It was a lot of fun. And then we just like didn't didn't have nearly enough time for game three and ended up drawing. But still a pretty good match. And uh, but yeah, so just kind of like general thoughts on the format. I think the heavy hitters in standard are mono red for sure. It was it was all over the place. Um, had success in the classic that I saw. Um, and the the blue black there are a lot of different like blue black variants there's the mid-range deck that essentially plays like glint sleeve siphoners and and aetherborns the, the yeah gifted aetherborns and kind of like has some two drops into mm-hmm. like it kind of like goes big it's got three scarab gods and like two trinchal gear hulks and two liliana's death death's majesty mm-hmm. um so you do have like really really powerful late game uh, which I think really helps you out against the other like mid-rangey decks. I think that the blue-black mid-range deck just can go over the top of Grixis Energy and like the the other aggro decks that exist. The problem yeah, and Champion is, of Wits doesn't hurt there either. That that's a nice one for that. Oh sort yeah, of it runs three Champion of Wits, which is I think a really good number first of all. And like yeah, if you can just flashback one of those, then geez, yeah, it's really good. So, so I, I liked that deck a lot for that particular weekend. But Todd Stevens ended up winning this tournament with blue-black control. Um, and that has kind of, like, this week spurred a lot of people to pick up blue-black control and realize that it's really good. And the blue-black mid-range deck just cannot beat the control deck. Because... Right. right. Uh, the, the only relevant thing you can do is, is play a, a siphoner and hope... But yeah. other than Some, that. Yeah, sometimes your siphoner can, you know, you land it on turn two, they don't have the fatal push, they don't have the moment of craving, and you just kind of run away with the game with that. But, you know, barring that, it's just kind of impossible to, like, stick your Scarab God and get that engine rolling or stick a Liliana or whatever. So, you know, the, uh, the blue-black control decks 
resurgence kind of after last weekend i think is really going to invalidate this blueback midrange deck which sure. is unfortunate because i really enjoy playing that deck and also unfortunate for me personally because i don't really like to play control decks but um <laughs> <laughs> but it seems strong so some other notable role players i think are the kazu ended up kazu negri played this uh, green white tokens list that has been having a lot of success um, it's essentially the appeal to authority beatdown list that plays Danto vanguards and adorned pouncers and stuff like that. And appeal to authority is a strong, strong magic card if you're ever in any it sort is. of racing situation. Um, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and this deck seems to utilize that pretty well. Um, a lot of people were playing uh, the green white Huatli in this deck, but Kazu, I think, wisely ended up taking that out. So. I think that just kind of like made the deck better because I think that Planeswalker is just bad. <laughs> yeah, look, I think... And I don't know what exactly the earlier iterations of this deck had, but it looks like he's a little more go-wide token-heavy than some of the earlier lists had. Like, yeah. he can go Legion's Landing into Servo Exhibition, uh, and he's also got three SRAMs expertise in there. So he really, really is is going hard on this token theme. Yeah. Um, and if people yeah. aren't expecting that. Legion's Landing into Servo Expedition is big game if your opponent doesn't have anything to, to, yeah. to kind of like answer any of those creatures. Because then all of a sudden you're like ramping mana, yeah. and you have this Legion's Landing flipped, and uh, you know you just get to dump so much more stuff on the battlefield, and you have the late game effect of just like, all right, you know, make a token. Yeah, I mean, I think that this deck is really powerful and definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward in Standard for sure. This one, and then the other deck that I think that's notable is the green-red aggro deck that a lot of people are playing out. I think that this green-red aggro deck was popularized by um, Brendan DeCandio when he wrote that article like a couple weeks ago about, mm-hmm. uh, hey guys, uh, this is just the best deck in Standard, and everybody should be <laughs> playing it. And I think people definitely trust Brendan DeCandio when it comes to Standard stuff, so people have been playing a lot with it. Yep. It's just playing the really, really powerful effects with... Four Rekindling Phoenix, four Glorybringer, um, a good curve up into that. So I think that's really powerful. Yeah, and it's it kind of solidifies one of the things that I, I've kind of noticed about Standard, which is that a, a lot of these decks, you kind of have one thing that matters, and the rest of your cards kind of enable that thing. Yeah. Um, so for like the green-red deck, like pretty much nothing matters except for killing them with a Phoenix or a Glorybringer. Like, all of your other creatures and stuff, like, like they might plink in for some damage, but they're really just there to, like, draw the fire away from when you ultimately cast a, a, a Phoenix or a Glorybringer. Like, pretty much all of the blue-black decks, like, their goal is to play a Scarab God, and the vast majority of your games, like, lead up to that. Come down to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, that's why, like, all of these black decks have four... Vraska's Contempt in them. Like, four Vraska's Contempt is the correct number of Vraska's Contempt because you need to have an answer to these things when they happen. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is kind of like the hallmark of all, like any of the blue-black decks, for sure. Like, no matter how mid-rangey or control they are, they all have four Vraska's Contempts. Just because that card is insane right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just good against everything. Yeah, yeah. Hits the Hazaret, which is kind of the only thing that matters in Mono Red. Hits the Scarab God, which is the only thing that matters in the Blue Black or the Mid Range, you know, decks. Uh, hits Glorybringer. Hits Rekindling Phoenix. Uh, Rekindling yep. Phoenix is just kind of like I think put itself in that 
category, I think, with the Scarab God and um, Hazret, where it's just kind of really difficult to deal with unless you have a specific answer for it that exiles or whatever. Yeah, and and that's like one of the things that I like about either these big red decks or these these green red decks is that they kind of overload the Vraska's Contempts by doing like Glorybringer plus Phoenix plus either uh, like maybe Hazoret or, or, like or Chandra. Yeah, yeah, or Chandra. Just like so many targets that eventually you're, they're not going to have a, a Vraska's Contempt and the last one is just going to kill them. So that's just sort of an interesting side of the format, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's kind of... I think that covers most of my thoughts on what's going on in Standard right now. Mardu Vehicles is still, like, a thing. Yeah, but you can't but beat think, Mono Red, so... Right, right. But I think um, that, you know, the, the format's really kind of revolving right now around Mono Red and this blue-black control deck that has kind of popped up recently, so... Yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. I think those are the, the two big, like, signposts that you're you know, trying to find, navigate a way between them if you're playing a deck that's not either of those. Um, you know, I think, yeah. you know, maybe this weekend, you know, if you can build exactly the right tokens list, that may be a decent choice. Because um, Mono Red Aggro certainly doesn't have uh, Rampaging Ferocidon to deal if you manage to get the Anointer yeah. Priest out. So, um, yeah, I mean, and kind of the hallmark of this, or, or one of the defining characteristics, I'll say, with this, the blue black control deck, is that it doesn't run any sweepers. So, right. if you can lean on that really heavily with, you know, your, uh, your token strategy, then I think that that's just, you know, a, a really good angle of attack on, um, this like if you're if you're looking to attack this blue black control deck really well and honestly i think that 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 the kazu's green white tokens list is mm-hmm. going to be really really difficult for that deck to keep up with just like you know the curve of legions landing into uh servo's expedition just like it, without anything else seems really difficult for them to hang up with because like you know what's their line from there uh i'll fatal push a token and then I'll, <laughs> uh Vraska's content. I like. I don't even know what you would do. Um, so um, yeah, it seems really strong, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely has game against mono red as well, just because you get a lot of blockers and you can you can put in more life gain. It looks like you know his list has one sacred cat and one sun scourge champion and two champions and a harvester at the sideboard, but. You know, there's tons of choices for life gain if if that's what you want in there. Um, so, you know, if if you're really just trying to focus on, like, I'm going to play against Mono Red and Blue Black and I need to beat both of those, then, you know, this is a deck that can run life gain and it can run um, Carnage Tyrants out of the sideboard. So, right, that, right. you know, this, big game. this might just be a place where you want to be. Yeah. This weekend, I am going to be playing in a pvtq i'm probably going to be playing something like the black red list that won the online ptq okay i i just i really like the way that this is constructed it's just splashing scrap heap scroungers and two unlicensed disintegrations in the main deck um then other than that it's a mono red deck except that it's running for rekindling phoenix which i, I think is pretty sweet and yeah. It, like, basically, it cuts the guys that 
Fatal Push is good against. It cuts all of the um, carry Zevs in favor of Scrap Heap Scroungers, and it cuts the uh, Soul Scar Mages and puts in a couple of Fanatical Firebrands and then some guys in different spots on the curve. Or, or you can run the whole playset of Fanatical Firebrands. So I, I think that this is a deck constructed with blue-black decks being all over the place and having Fatal Push in mind because none of the guys in this deck are you like, ah, damn, that sucks when they Fatal Push it. And, and that's, a, that's a good place to be. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, and I just kind of like had this interesting thought when you're saying that. One card that uh, I think these blue-black control decks could have access to to really fight against that kind of thing is uh, Golden Demise. I think that's kind of like a card that's really under the radar right now for them. Mm. And if, if the blueback decks want to continue to have success in this format, they're really going to want to put two or three Golden Demise in their sideboard. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's probably a good call. Um, also good against, if not the Anointed Procession token decks, certainly against the, the SRAM's Expertise Servo Exhibition token oh, absolutely. decks. Yeah, that's the matchup that I was thinking that they definitely need it for in order to compete. Um, and if they have it, they might just be even like like way favored. But you know. Yeah, and I think it same. would help against these mono red decks because like everything in here that's not Hazaret or Rekindling Phoenix dies to it because without carries of you know Scrappy Scoundrel's got two toughness. It'll come back, but that's still you know that buys time for the Scarab God to come into play. So yeah, I I, I definitely think Golden Demise is going to see. I, I think you're you're one hundred percent right there. Any more thoughts on Standard, or do you think we covered most of it? Um, let's see what I've written down. Oh, so I do want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, not just that, that's like the five-color, you know, Hour of Promise sort of slow control deck, um, but these, what whatever iteration of these green and black X um, board control Hour of Promise decks, I'm very interested in these going forward. M- maybe... This is just the like, because this really this playstyle really appeals to me. I, you know, my my first standard deck that I ever had stolen from me was uh, a green black deck with thought seizes and damnations and tarmogoyfs and 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 harmonize, and I sort of like worked really hard to build it myself and was very proud that yeah. I like top sixteen does a Star City event with it. Um, right. So. So like th- this kind of deck really appeals to me, but but in particular, the engine of Hour of Promise getting Arch of Arazka, I think is really good. And these decks that have black in them and that are running like a lot of duresses and doomfalls are really good at getting that through the counter magic of the blue decks. And then the rest of the deck is like removal and uh, you know a lot of them are even running like masterminds acquisition to get the uh, like a sandworm convergence out of the sideboard like these decks are just so flexible that i have to imagine that as long as that hour of promise engine is reasonable to be doing in standard then you could build this deck to be good in your metagame um so i'm, yeah. I'm pretty pretty pumped for these going forward i think yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, I definitely can't can always get behind um, uh, some Hour of Promise action. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> do, I do love that card. Um, I mean, the the payoff but, is not uh, as exciting as as casting an Ulamog. Like that is one hundred percent true. But I mean, okay, is Sandworm Convergence more or less exciting than Ulamog? I think that it right. might be more exciting. Uh, it is it might be not really powerful, sweet. but 
<laughs> it's pretty sweet. <laughs> but, um, you know, even just, like, something like Zakama, you know, uh, that, casting that card is just game over so, so often. Is that what you played against uh, in the Classic? Is that what you lost to? He, he went up to Zakama? Or... He, he didn't He didn't end up actually playing Zakama, but um, I, I know that he had one in his sideboard, and he had gotcha. access to it. Um, we actually had this fun kind of banter game one where he was like, um, yeah, I, so he ended up, I had a Scarab God out and he ended up, um, using his four mana tutor to get the one mana artifact that says you can't target anything in your graveyard. Mm. And, um, and he was like, yeah, I think that I punted that game just cause I could have gotten something else that I think would have taken over the game. And I was like trying to figure out what it was. And uh, and I was like, oh, you had so you do had something like pretty good in there. He's like, yeah, it's just pretty good, just pretty good. And uh, I only realized kind of like after the fact, looking at his deck list, that he was talking about Zakama, which was like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, I mean, but... there's just so many ways to build this deck that, uh, it, like, I think it will reward having strong format knowledge and making. Uh, powerful metagame reads and, and being like very like sure of yourself as you sub 15 cards in and out of your deck b- before going to the tournament yeah. uh so i don't know it just seems very cool that that overall engine of discard spells hour of promise turning on arch of Arazka, and then much of the rest of your deck is removal spells for the decks that that doesn't beat I think it, it just can be really consistently good. I do want to experiment with it, but it's also one of those decks that's like not good to grind leagues with because it takes so long to win with. That, uh, <laughs> right. I, I don't really know what I'm going to do going forward, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to be able to stop myself from trying it out a bunch. Look, man, sometimes you just got to be prepared for that grind, you know? Yep. Be like, all right, it's, it's time for some... Uh, some <laughs> for some... Uh, Mas- masterminds acquisition action. yeah masterminds <laughs> acquisition action let's go <laughs> yeah action is action right is not the right side there <laughs> <laughs> that's just all you're gonna be doing right click view sideboard all right what do we got in here? yeah yeah because i'm gonna keep forgetting what i have in there this league <laughs> yeah excellent excellent yeah hold on let me let me pull up out all these lists real quick yeah i mean this is this is just great like tetsamok Angrath, Frasca, all one ofs in the main deck. Like this is basically the perfect deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, per- perfect. Um, yep. And Thaumatic Compass, just so you can Maze of Ith and Standard. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I probably right. will just be playing Red Black Aggro this weekend. I think it's powerful. I think it it shores up the weaknesses of of Mono Red against the the removal that the blue black decks are playing right now yeah um and just has those same really busted draws that get out of hazard and it kills you with them and that sort of thing so yep well cool so what are you what are you playing next well, are, do you have a, a tournament coming up soon yeah so i'm trying to make it to memphis but plans okay. aren't 100 yet if i don't end up doing that i will likely go up to roanoke this saturday for an iq um, okay. which will just be modern, but uh, I'm gonna do my best to make it to Memphis and play some play some standard. Seems like standard's in a good spot right now. Yeah, very exciting. I mean the the meta page on Goldfish looks a lot like a stand blech, looks a lot like a, a modern meta game. You know, mono red is a little over ten percent, and then nothing else is is 
is at 10%. So right. lots of options yeah. here. And I think that Standard might finally be going back into that spot where the deck that's on top of Standard like changes from week to week, which is like one of the things that I really enjoyed about Standard, kind of like when it has been in that like cyclical pattern. Because like very recently, Standard's been, here's the best deck, you should play it, that's it. You know, end of discussion. But there definitely in the past have been Standard formats where that it's just always evolving and people are adapting to beat whatever happens to be on top the previous week and um i really enjoy that so the unfortunate yeah. part about it is that i don't think that standard is popular enough and i don't think that there are enough of major events to make that happen consistently but um the format's still fun so yeah and that's actually something that i noticed um like it's been super weird with these bands and stuff you know standard gets hit with a couple of bands that shake it up and and seem to be making it very interesting and healthy and then there's just no major standard events for weeks yeah and so we're just playing modern the whole time and then modern gets a couple of unbands that shake up the event that that shake up the format and then we just play dead modern for a weekend <laughs> uh not so the greatest not it's, the greatest it's just been a a bad time to be a a magic viewer at the very least so hopefully yeah we get to hopefully play these. we can kind of get past this like bump in the road and and get back on some sort of good scheduling but we'll yeah see. I'm, I'm i'm psyched i'm gonna play a bunch of standard over the next couple of weeks because i i am playing in a couple of pvtqs and i am hoping to make it to gp madrid for the the team trios event and i i will be playing standard on my team so, because we've we've got a legacy guy and we've got a, a modern guy, so I will be nice. happily shuffling up some hazards or something. And Excellent. yeah, time to learn everything I can about cool. this format. Good luck to you in you know upcoming events. Yeah, yeah, you as well. Thanks to everybody so much for listening. If you want to find us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at at mtg underscore grindcast, and you can also find Collins at Collins Mullen on Twitter. Um, and if you're interested in um, taking any sort of coaching sessions from me, you can schedule me at uh, calendly.com slash collinsmullen. Awesome. Uh, so, and, and, and then, obviously, as we said before, you can find that on Twitter and soon on the website. Um, so, cool. Also, Excellent. soon we will have a website for anybody that's been really, really <laughs> just waiting for that day. It's, it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. Yeah, we're finally we're finally getting to be part of the the big boy club of, of having our own website and you know <laughs> feeling like an illegitimate podcast. It's gonna be yeah great. with a with a logo and everything. I think you know we might start looking pretty real. So that's exciting. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks for hanging out. Yep. Yep. See you guys next week. 